Amen. Well, take your Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I don't know if there's anything else that you can say. I love him. I love him. And he loves us. And what a tremendous thing that is. A great relationship that he has with us, that he wants to have with us. You know, we are almost a couple months into the new year already. It's hard to believe. Um, but we, have, we have a large and a noble goal in front of each one of us. And, and our goal this year is for each one of us to reach one person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've had a few messages over the last couple of weeks on soul winning, on witnessing, on our, on our job that we have to do. But we also have the job of, of living as Christians for Jesus Christ in a world that does not like Christianity. Oh, for the most part in America, people tolerate Christianity, but they don't like it. And that's, that's evidenced by the fact that they're trying to do all kinds of legislation day after day after day to push Christ out. They don't want the Ten Commandments anywhere. They don't want the manger scene anywhere. They don't want any of that stuff. They want Christ out of society. They want him out of life. Um, but we have that job to live as Christians. A man was trying to, he was trying hypnosis to help him quit smoking, and his friend asked him whether or not he thought it would work. And he said, sure, it worked the last time I tried it. You know, let's face it, starting is relatively easy. Finishing well is a different matter. You start a new diet program or a new ex uh, exercise program, it's kind of fun. Pretty easy to get started on it. But hanging in there over the long haul is not easy. We, um, I've mentioned this, most, most of you know this, but one of my brothers in Denver, January 31st, mind you, sent a text out to the, to the family group text and said, starting tomorrow, February 1st, I'm issuing a challenge. He said, anybody that runs one mile a day, at least one mile a day for an entire year, all the way till next February 1st. He said, I'm putting up the money, 50 bucks. Of course, I don't know if $50 is worth it. I figured that out. That's like 25 cents a mile. Not very much. 20 cents a mile is what it is. But he said, as people drop out, if you, you, know, if you miss one day, you have, to, you have to run at least one mile. It has to be outside, and it has to be before midnight. And he said, if you miss, for any reason, you're out. He said, as people drop out, if there's any one person that's still standing by February 21st, probably literally and figuratively, I don't know what he meant by that, but thousand dollars he said so we all took him up on the challenge and and we've been doing it I've been doing at least one I've been doing a couple miles a day but that started on February 1st he were out at February 23rd and I'm telling you there are days when I get up and I'm saying man is this even worth it I don't feel like running today it was a great idea when we first started and I'm a runner I've run a whole lot of uh, I've run a whole lot in my life but you know sticking with it over a long haul is is not easy you know same thing with with anything that you do in life getting married you know, it's an easy decision. Let's go get married. You go get married. But sticking with it over the long haul, and, and you see that, that's obviously not an easy thing because so many people left and right are getting divorced nowadays. Not an easy thing. But the same, is, the same is true of the Christian life. Becoming a Christian is relatively easy. You accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You realize that he is the one that paid the price for our sins. You realize that you're a sinner. You ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and to forgive you those sins, and then the Christian life begins. It's relatively easy to get saved. It's difficult to keep living your life as a Christian. You can't work for salvation. You can't do anything to qualify for it. God gives that freely to all of us, everyone that recognizes their need and the trust, uh, trust in Christ alone. But when, when the hard part comes, hanging in there as a Christian in a world that hates Christianity, not as easy. The world constantly dangles in front of you all the things that are really in direct opposition 
to the things of God. From within, the flesh entices you to forsake Jesus Christ, to, to gratify that flesh. The enemy hits you with temptation after temptation. The real test of your faith is, will it endure? Will it endure? Genuine faith in Christ perseveres to the finish line. And that's exactly what we see happening here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's written by the Apostle Paul. Obviously, by the context and by everything that we know about his life, he's coming to the end of his life. He didn't know it necessarily, but I think he has the feeling that his life is just about over. I think he was getting up in age by that point as well. Um, but he was getting ready to go and to, to basically be, be executed. He didn't know his head was going to be cut off, but that was about what was, what was about to happen. And we looked in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. That's the verse we memorized. That verse is the passage where Paul is talking about the fact, none of these things move me. I know what's about to happen to me, but I'm determined. And he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now, by the way, Paul is talking to Timothy. Timothy was a young preacher boy, maybe not even as young as we like to make him out to be. He was probably in his 30s, maybe even early 40s by this point. But, but Paul is passing on the wisdom that he knows and that he's gained for all of those years of pastoring these churches onto Timothy. And so he's given Timothy this advice. He says in verse number four, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of the ministry. Then he says this in verse number six, and I think this just kind of gives us the entire mindset of the Apostle Paul. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. See, the Christian life is a marathon. Not a hundred yard dash. I've done a lot of running in my life. I've actually run four marathons in my life. I've done so many, I've put so many miles on shoes. I can't tell you how many pairs of shoes that I've run through. Can't tell you how many miles I've run, how many 10Ks and 5Ks and all of those things. You have to learn through the, the race your strengths and your weaknesses. And you have to be able to build on those strengths and those weaknesses to be able to run a good race well. But since finishing a marathon well is not easy. When you see a man that sprints across the finish line, you know one of two things. Number one, he either cheated, or number two, he's doing something right, and you need to figure out what that guy's doing right. And I think that's kind of the story that we get here with the Apostle Paul. He was that man. He, it's, it's like he crossed the finish line, and then he jogs back to where Timothy is at, and he starts telling Timothy, hey, keep it up. Keep going. This is, this is what's going to happen. This is the way that it's going to go in the end. And in our text, it's very clear that Paul is looking death in the face. His words must, I think, probably Timothy was very close with the Apostle Paul, and I think his words might have caused Timothy to burst into tears, knowing that Paul was about to be gone from him. Those words must have sobered Timothy with the reality that Paul was handing this baton off to him. Now he had to finish well. And so I asked that question this morning. How can we finish well? How can we finish well? Some are closer to the end of the race than others, but the honest truth is none of us know when our race is going to end. I feel young, but I could finish my race tomorrow. 
My race can be done in a month. It can be done in a year. It can be done in 10 years. It can be done in 50 years. I don't know. None of us know that. But there's one way that we can finish well. There's something, some things that we can do. And one of the best ways is to focus on the finish line. That's one thing in a race that keeps a runner pushing forward. I'll tell you what. When you hit mile 22, 23 in a marathon, you want to quit badly. But you know that if you just keep plugging forward, if you keep plotting, that finish line is going to come. And you keep pushing toward that finish line. And that's, it's, it's going to be over soon. We just have a little longer to go. And so what I want to share with you this morning is a few, hopefully, helpful thoughts on how we can run a good race with the end in sight. Uh, focus on the finish. Focus on the finish. That's the title of the message this morning. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a couple things that I think hopefully will be helpful for us. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for how good you are to us. I thank you for this, uh, this encouragement that we have in the Word of God. And God, I pray that it would be an encouragement to us to keep going, to keep serving you, to keep living for you, to keep striving to please you in our lives. Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing is this. You must know where you want it to end. You have to know where you want it to end. Uh, Albert Einstein was traveling from Princeton on a train, and he boarded that train, and when the conductor came down to punch the tickets, he started looking for his ticket, and he couldn't find it anywhere. He stuck his hand in his coat pocket, and he couldn't find it. He stuck his hands in his pants pockets, and he couldn't find this ticket anywhere. And the conductor that was walking down punching the ticket said, it's all right, Dr. Einstein, we know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket at some point. You don't have to worry about it. Don't worry about it. And the conductor just kind of kept moving down there. And he got near the back of the train, and he turned around, and there was Albert Einstein on his hands and knees looking under the seat for this ticket. And the guy came back up there, and he said, Dr. Einstein, we, we know who you are. You're fine. You don't need to worry about your ticket. And Dr. Einstein looked at that conductor, and he said, young man, I know who I am too. I just don't know where I have to get off. <laughs> where you're going matters. The way that you want it to end matters. What are your goals in the Christian life? That's the finish line. That's what we're, what we're trying to accomplish for Jesus Christ. That's the finish line. You have to know how you want it to end. If you have no goals for Christ, nothing is going to keep you pushing through those difficult times. When you're hurting, having no end goal is going to cause you to quit. It's going to cause you to drop out of the race. There's a lot of people as I was running these marathons that I saw that, that just dropped out. They couldn't go anymore. They were hurting too bad, and they dropped out. If you have that goal of, I got to get this certain time, or I have to get to, you know, whatever. I'm trying to get this goal. I want to just cross the finish line. You're going to keep going. I remember the first marathon that I did was in South Bend, Indiana. It started at the, at the College Football Hall of Fame, and it actually ended at the 50-yard line of the Notre Dame Stadium. And this was early June. It doesn't get that hot up in Indiana, especially in early June. But that day, the temperature was in the 90s. And it was, it was hot. I was, not, I was not prepared for the heat. I was not even prepared as prepared for the marathon as I thought I was and as I should have been. And I'm telling you, by the time I hit mile 21, 22, my legs felt like rubber. My legs felt like they were going to give out from underneath me. And I really, really wanted to stop. But all I, could kept, all I kept thinking of is, you're not a quitter. Keep going. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. And the next thing you know, we were at mile 26. And you know a marathon is not 26 miles. It's 26.2. That point .2 is the hardest part of the marathon. Because you think it's over. You see the sign up in the front that says mile 26, and you get there, and the race is not done. And you can't even see the finish line from there. But we rounded that corner, and, you know, it's iconic, this Notre Dame Stadium. And 
you run down the tunnel and and we actually got to, to do that. You run down the tunnel of the Notre Dame Stadium, and all of a sudden you burst into this field that is just massive. Of course, there was no crowd there cheering us on necessarily, other than the few people who were there watching the race. But you, you come in here and you finish, and you finally cross that finish line. If you had no goal, if your job was, well, I'd like to run about 26 miles, somewhere right around there, guess what I would have done? 22 is far enough. I've finished what I wanted to do. But you have a finish line. You have a goal in mind. And that's exactly what we have to have in our Christian life. You have to know how you want it to end. Paul had a lot of goals. Paul's words here are not the words of somebody that's discouraged. They're not the words of, of, of somebody who's facing fear that his end might be right around the corner. He was calm, especially when you consider his circumstances. Paul was, was stuck in a prison that, honestly, the worst prison in America today would, would look like the, the Hilton, you know, the a Hilton Hotel compared to what Paul was in. These were dungeons. These were not nice little prisons with little bars on the walls that you could stand there and look out and, you know, see the, the bay and, you know, hear the birds and feel the breeze and all that stuff. Paul, the way that they made those dungeons back then was literally a dungeon. It was a pit that was dug into the ground that you had to be let down by basically a rope ladder. There was no lights. There was no, you know, there was, there was no amenities. There was nothing and the Apostle Paul is sitting in this dungeon writing to Timothy. The end is here, but I'm ready to be offered. I, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the, the faith. Paul was not discouraged because he had set goals and he accomplished those goals for Jesus Christ. What are some goals that we can have to finish well? There's so many of them in the Bible, but I picked a couple of them out that I thought would be helpful for us. Number one, we can make sure that we're leaving people behind who are going to carry on the work of Christ because of your influence. You know, you might think, well, I'm just a nobody. I, I come to church and I go home and nobody's watching me. There's a lot of people that are watching you. Could you imagine if you were not here this morning, who are the young kids going to look up to? Who are they, whose footsteps are they going to follow in? You have a lot bigger influence than you think that you do. And you sticking to it, you staying faithful to Jesus Christ could mean something so much more than you realize to the generation that's coming up behind you. We ought to be doing everything that we can to win others for Jesus Christ. That's the Great Commission. That's how we influence other people for Jesus Christ. But we can begin that task right at home, too. Every Christian parent ought to be waging an all-out campaign to train up their children to know God, to love God, to walk with God. That's how we can influence the next generation. Are you taking the time to read the Bible and pray with your family? Are you taking the time to make sure that your family gathers with the Lord's people on the Lord's day? Do you talk openly at home about spiritual things? Do you apply God's word when there's tension, when there's trials, when there's struggles that you're going through? That's how you can influence the next generation. What a great goal. I'm going to stay faithful because I've got people behind me that are watching me. You may not feel like there's a whole lot of people watching, but there are. There's eyes on you. Our goal ought to be to let our life be an offering to God. We can make sure that we're leaving people behind who are going to carry on the work, but our goal ought to be to let our life be an offering to God. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. I know that you're pretty familiar with this verse, but if that's your goal, then nothing that happens to you can matter. If my life belongs to God, nothing that comes as a stumbling block can stop me. Nothing can hurt me because my life is literally being lived as an offering to God. If somebody wants to come and take my life as a martyr, fine. My life is not my own anyway. It belongs to God. It's his. He can do with it what he wants to. And you know the thing that, that, that strikes me is from the moment you are born, 
God knows the exact date of your death. Somebody that gets hit and, you know, hit and killed or shot or something like that, that didn't take God by surprise. He knew it was going to happen. He knew it was coming. And, oh, well, I, I can't go to Africa and be a missionary, or I can't go to one of these places where they eat people and be a missionary because I might get killed. Well, guess what? The day of your death is already determined on the day that you're born. And whether you're in Africa getting eaten in a pot by, you know, by, by cannibals or whether you're walking down the street, your day is coming and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. Why not give your life to do what God wants you to do? Why not give your life in service to him? You only have a certain amount of time and we don't know how, how long that is. It'd be great if, if the, the moment you're born, a book came with it, right? And you could see the last page. Okay, well, I got this amount of time. I can do this and this and this. But it's not that way. Why not give your life in service to God? What a great goal. My life belongs to him. My life belongs to him. Paul said that very clearly in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's not going above and beyond to live your life as a living sacrifice for God. Oh, that guy's so great. Look at how he serves God. Look at how he's given his life to God. No, that means you're average, which means then those of us who don't are living well below where God expects us to live as a Christian. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, acceptable unto God. It's just your reasonable service. That's what you do as a Christian because you're a Christian. But so many people don't have that as a goal. They don't have that as a goal that they want to live their life as an offering for God. You don't serve Christ in order to get praise and acclaim from other people. You serve Christ as an act of worship towards him. That's why we live for him. If others turn away from God, if others badmouth you because you're trying to do what's right, who cares? My life is a sacrifice. My life is an offering to God. I want to pour that out before him. And if it happens that I get my life taken because I'm trying to serve Christ, or if it happens that I get made fun of, or if it happens that people badmouth me because I'm trying to be a witness for Jesus Christ, then so be it. My life is an offering to God. It's not my own in the first place. And they're not rejecting you anyway. They're rejecting him. You're the messenger. Right? That's what our job is. Now, we read Acts 20, 24, but Paul's influence. Here's one of, the, one of the great apostles to the Gentiles. Paul accomplished so much for the cause of Jesus Christ. He, I, I believe Paul did more to spread the message of the gospel than any person that's ever lived. But his influence, was, it was just incalculable. There's no way that you can calculate all the ways that Paul influenced so many other people. But he, he could finish well because his goal was simply to please God. Amen. Acts 20, 24. Amen. But none of these things moved me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Brother John, can you get the candy bucket? I just said my verse. <laughs> but that's what Paul's goal was. None of these things move me. I don't belong to me. My life is his. It doesn't matter what happens. I'm not moved by the fear of death. I'm not moved by the fear of martyrdom. 
Bring it on. My life is his. If you have inflated notions about your own importance, you're not going to finish well. All of us should view ourselves and all of our service as a sacrificial offering to God. But here's another goal. Our end goal ought to be to please God. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you might still be there in verse number 8. You know, our goal to please God sounds easy. Oh, just please God. Just please Him. It's easy enough to say, but in reality, that requires thousands and thousands of difficult decisions throughout the course of our life to give it to Him. Paul said, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. There's a crown of righteousness waiting for those who faithfully serve the Lord. What a great end goal. I want that crown of righteousness. Look, those who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, you cannot lose your salvation. Once you're saved, you're always saved. You cannot do anything that would cause you to be taken out of the Father's hand, like the Bible says. Now, we can disappoint him. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can do things that, are gonna ruin, that, that, would, that would mar our relationship with him. You can't lose your salvation. But the Bible is very clear that we are going to receive rewards based on our deeds. We can't gain heaven or lose heaven based on our deeds, but we can gain or lose rewards based on what, what we do. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that we're going to stand before God in all of our works. The Bible says all of our works are going to be made manifest. Some are going to be like wood, hay, and stubble. They're going to be burned up. But others are going to be like gold, silver, precious metals. And they're going to last. Only the things that we do for Christ last anyway. But to please God. See, those who are saved can't lose their salvation. But Paul could finish well because he knew the righteous judge was going to give him a reward for his faithful service. There are lots of goals that we can set for the finish line, but make no mistake, we have to have a goal if we're going to keep going for Christ. You have to know where you want it to end, but also you have to figure out how you're going to get there. There were 128 runners on the field for a cross-country race in the 1993 NCAA Division II championships. And uh, as they set out, it was a, it was a 10K, 6.2 miles. And they set out, and they took off on this run. Of course, this is kind of the best of the best. And they were following a course that had been marked for them by the race officials. And as they moved through that race, one of the, one of the runners noticed that they had missed a turn. And he called out to the pack that was, there was a good pack of guys that were in front of him. And he called out, he hollered to them, and he said, you're going the wrong way. This is actually the path that you're supposed to take. And so he turned, and only three or four other people followed him. And the whole rest of that field finished that race. And they ended up running an actual shorter race. But this was the NCAA Division II Championships. Couldn't hardly make everybody run it again. And so they had a very controversial decision, but they decided that they were going to allow the race results to stand where they were. And this young man, Mike Del, Del Cavo was his name. He was out of Western State College in Colorado. He did the right thing. And only four other racers followed him. But in the final standing, he ended up finishing 123rd because of this decision that they made. The world doesn't always reward staying on track, literally or spiritually. But the path that we follow is important to God. And one of, day, one, one of these days, all of those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ for our salvation are going to stand before God. 
And we're going to be evaluated based on whether we stayed the course or not. We're going to be evaluated based on whether we stayed on the path that he wanted us to stay on. It doesn't matter if all the rest of the crowd goes the other way. What does the Bible say in Matthew? Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Narrow is the way that leadeth to life. And few there be that find it. Because it's not easy. It's not an easy path. Someone said that a goal without a plan is just a wish. A goal without a plan is just a wish. And that's exactly what it is. Please, God, that's a goal, but without a plan, it's just a wish. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse number 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. You should have goals, but how are you accomplishing those goals? It's easy to say, I'm going to live for Christ, but how are you going to make that happen? It comes from a lot of different decisions to say yes to Christ and no to the world. To say yes to reading the Bible and no sometimes to the television. To say yes to prayer and no to, to playing on your phone or, or to being on the internet when you should be doing things that are pleasing to God. Yes to witnessing. No to embarrassment. The list could go on and on and on with decisions that we have to make day to day about whether or not we're going to serve Christ and whether or not we're going to please Christ or whether we're going to follow the world. Because it's very easy to get distracted, right? Well, I think one of the greatest allegories of, of all time is Pilgrim's Progress. By the way, the Pilgrim's Progress is second only to the Bible in the number of books that have been sold. The, the King James Version of the Bible, by far, is the bestseller of all time. But right behind that is Pilgrim's Progress. And I think it's, number one, because it was written in the 1600s. It's been around for so long. How could you not sell enough copies of it? But, but it's a good book. And it lasts because it, it, it gets to the heart of exactly where we are. There are so many things that can distract us. There's so many things that can pull us off of that journey toward Zion. That's where we're headed. We're headed to heaven. If you're saved, you know you're going there. But there's a lot of distractions along the way that are going to try to pull us away from Jesus Christ. When you come to the end of your life, Will you be able to look back and say, I was involved in the struggle for the cause of Christ? Paul's using an athletic metaphor, either wrestling match or race, but he's basically saying that the Christian life is not a picnic. It's a struggle against the forces of evil. The devil does not want you to live for Christ. He's going to fight you every way that he can to keep you from serving Jesus Christ. It's not just any fight. It's the good fight, the fight of the gospel for the cause and the glory of Jesus Christ. Can you say, I am currently involved in the struggle for the cause of Jesus Christ? There's a lot of Christians who will claim to be a Christian. As long as it doesn't matter. As long as you're not going to make fun of me for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I go to church, you know. But they're not involved in the struggle for Jesus Christ. They're not involved in the struggle for the cause of Christ. See, you cannot say that you're involved in the struggle for Jesus Christ, for the cause of Christ, if you're living primarily for your own comfort, if you're living primarily for your own affluence, spending your time and your money on your pursuit of the American dream. Nothing wrong with those things. Nothing wrong with having money. God's blessed many, many people with money. And they've used that for God's glory. And God gives them more. And they use it for God's glory. And God gives them more. There's nothing wrong with the American dream. But when that's what your goal is, when that's what your pursuit is, and we're missing out on so much that God wants us to have. If your purpose in life is to be comfortable, then you're not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
nothing wrong with being comfortable, but if that's what you're seeking, then you're putting those things in front of the kingdom of God. You're not involved in the struggle for the cause of Jesus Christ. If, on the other hand, you live for that purpose of, of building up the body of Christ, if you live for the purpose of telling others about Jesus Christ, if you live for the purpose of pleasing him, and you're involved in that struggle, what a fulfilling thing when it comes time to die. And we're all going to, we're going to stand before Christ. But to be able to look back and say, I've been involved in that great struggle for the cause of Christ. Can you say that? Can you say that? If not, then you have a goal with no plan. And it's just a wish. There's a lot of people. If I were to ask every single person in this room and basically anybody that claims to be a Christian, do you want to live for Christ? Yeah, I do. I do. I want to live for Christ. But why is it that so few people are? Because they have no plans for how to do it. Paul also said that he had kept the faith. That's one way we can stay on track and making sure that our lives are pleasing to God. Paul was talking about the truth of the gospel. He was talking about the doctrines that we find in the word of God. How can you live for God if you don't know what the Bible says about how to do it? We ought to be studying the word of God. We ought to be reading the word of God. We ought to know what we believe about what the Bible says. His life and his teaching held to sound doctrine. You can't keep a faith that you're unclear about. There's so many people that, that make a profession of faith. You want to go to heaven? Yeah, I want to go to heaven. All right, say these words. Pray this prayer. All right, I said it. I'm on my way to heaven. They have no idea what they did. They have no idea what they believe. And they question their salvation for the rest of their life. But beyond that, once you really do know Jesus Christ as your Savior, once you have accepted Jesus Christ and you know you're on your way to heaven, so few know what they even believe because they don't ever read the Bible. They're not in church to hear what, they, what the Bible says about all these different things. Be able to look back in your life and, and echo the Apostle Paul's words, I have kept the faith. You need to be clear on the essentials of faith. Just as much under attack in our day as it was in Paul's day. So sink some roots down in sound doctrine. Know what you believe. Know what the Bible says. That's making a plan to get to the finish line. You have to know where you want it to end. You have to know how you're going to get there. And lastly, and I know this sounds kind of generic, but don't give up. Don't give up. Pablo Casals was considered to be the greatest cellist to ever live. I'm not real big into the world of celloism, so I don't know his name. But he's considered by many to be the greatest cellist that ever lived. When he was 95 years old, somebody asked him why he continued to practice six hours a day on that cello. And he said, because I think I'm making progress. Because I think I'm making progress. Paul said, I have finished my course. He didn't drop out of the race. Now, perhaps you've heard this before, but the word marathon comes from uh, the geographic place where a decisive battle took place between Greece and Persia in 490 B.C. Uh, the legend is, and, and it's just legend, uh, there's no way to prove whether it's true or not, is that a battle, after a battle, a Greek soldier ran a distance from uh, Marathon to Athens, which was right about 25 miles. He was running to let them know that they had won the battle. And he ran that 25 miles from Marathon to Athens, and when he got there, he delivered the news, and he fell down dead. And so in 1896, at the first Olympics, they had the marathon, which was 
right around 25 miles. And in 1908, they actually lengthened that to the present 26.2 miles. And the marathon's been around ever since then. We all know those who began the Christian life with a flourish of activity, with a flourish of enthusiasm, but somewhere along the line, they dropped out of the race. Oh, they're still going to heaven. If they were saved, they're still going to heaven. They dropped out of the race. They gave up. They didn't finish because it got difficult. When trials and disappointments hit, they dropped out. Now, I mentioned this already, but I've run four marathons, and there is no such thing as an easy marathon. It's a struggle, and so is the Christian life. The reason people cross the finish line day after day, year after year on these marathons is because they don't quit. There's guys out there that are far crazier than I am. Some people might think, you ran a marathon, that's crazy, that's way too much running. And that's how I think about it now. It's way too much running. But there are people who run 100 marathons in 100 days. Could you imagine that? They finish a marathon, they jump on a plane or jump in a car and go to the next one. Wake up the next morning and run another marathon. Something's wrong with somebody that does that. But there is no such thing as an easy marathon, and there's no such thing as an easy Christian life, because this is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It takes all of our life. We need to get out of our heads that the Christian life is all glory and effortless bliss. It's not. It's a struggle. There is joy, but there's also a lot of trials that require endurance. You don't have to turn over there. We're done. But the Bible says in Acts chapter 14 and verse number 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. You've got to make up your mind that you're going to hang in there. You've got to make up your mind that you're just going to keep going. Are the decisions difficult sometimes? Yeah. Not always easy to go get made fun of. Not always easy to stand up for what you believe. And look, we, we, we don't face persecution. Compared to what they face in other parts of the world, they face persecution. A little embarrassment is not persecution. A little bit of a struggle to say no to some sin is not persecution. It's living the Christian life. And it's living a life where we don't give up. We can look back at the end and say with the Apostle Paul, I have finished the course. J. Sidlow Baxter said this, what's the difference between an obstacle and an opportunity? Our attitude toward it. Every opportunity has a difficulty, and every difficulty has an opportunity. Now this goes a ways back, but the 1929 Rose Bowl, the California Golden Bears squared off against the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. 1929, this is back in the Golden era of football when they still wore leather helmets and they beat each other up with no pads, you know? You see people out there looking like they came out of a hockey game, no teeth and all this kind of stuff, you know? Um, but they had in that game what is probably one of the most famous plays in college football history. In the second quarter, the California player, his name was Roy Regals. Roy Regals, try to say that five times fast. Roy Regals. He recovered a fumble, but instead of advancing the ball, he took off running the wrong direction. And his teammates were chasing him, and he thought they were blocking for him, but finally they caught him before he got over the line, and they stopped him before he crossed the line into the other, into the other goal. 
And so they saved the point, but it was on the one-yard line. And the, goal, the, the, uh, the Yellow Jackets came down, and they ended up scoring on that play. And that became the difference at the end of that game. They lost because he took the ball the wrong direction. And it became known as he, that, that, you know, the, the two points, or the, the seven points that Georgia Tech scored following what they called wrong way Regal's mistake ended up being the difference in that game, and they lost. And I think a lot of times we as Christians make the mistake of thinking that we can face the world on our own. We can do it in our own power. I'm just going to get out there and determine to live for Jesus Christ without taking time to pray, without taking time to read his word, without taking time to know what he wants us to do. And we quit. We drop out. Maybe your circumstances seem pretty dismal this morning. If you're considering dropping out of the Christian race. From his dungeon, I think the Apostle Paul calls out to us, don't quit. Keep going. Keep running. Keep serving. You can do it. I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. I'm looking forward to that crown of righteousness. You can do it too. Keep going. Keep serving. Set goals so that you know how, how you want it to end. You can reproduce yourself and others that can carry that torch on after you. View your life as a sacrifice to God. Make it your life's aim to please God. But then know how you're going to accomplish those goals. Stay in the struggle for Christ. Study the Bible. Read his word. Pray. Take time to memorize the Bible. Know what you believe. Just live for Christ. And whatever you do, don't quit. Don't quit. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep serving. Keep striving. It's worth it. It's worth it. We can all get to the end of our lives like the Apostle Paul. Boy, could you imagine being able to say that? I fought a good fight. I finished my course. And I've kept the faith. Focus on the finish. It's not that far away. Press on. Heaven's not so far away. Keep going. Keep moving. Keep striving. Just live for him. It's worth it. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for how good you are to us. We thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the encouragement that we get from the Apostle Paul and, and honestly from so many others that live their lives for you. God, I pray that you'd help each one of us. I don't know who needed this message this morning. Maybe we all do. It's an encouragement. It's an encouragement to keep going, to keep living for you. Maybe there are some that are stumbling. Maybe they're running with legs like they feel like rubber. Want to quit, want to drop out. God, I pray that you'd help us to keep going for you. Pray that we'd be strengthened by the word of God. Strengthened in our relationship with you so that we can keep going to the finish line. Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. As the piano plays, God has spoken to your heart this morning. The invitation is open and you can come.